Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Friends, uh, will you pray with me? Almighty Father, we honor you and we praise you that you have not kept yourself far from us. You have not stayed away, but you have made yourself knowable to us. And not only knowable, you have reached out in order to reconcile us to you in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we remember his entrance into this world, his humility, his smallness, his weakness, all become signs of your glory and of your strength. And we ask now, especially in this time when so many of us feel to at least to some extent weak or have felt weak in this year, Father, will you grant us to see in Christ and his humility your glory? And will you give us a joy that we cannot generate ourselves? but that must be imparted supernaturally by your Holy Spirit. And we ask for that joy rooted in your son. And we ask for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, um, when the sun goes down uh, in like, you know, church history and kind of Christian calendar land, it's the next day. And that means we're just going to call this Christmas. Friends, Merry Christmas. And I, it's wonderful to see you, at least as we can in this format. Um, but friends, what we want to do tonight, um, you notice that we had a bunch of readings and we've got one more coming. And what we want to do tonight is um, we're going to look a little bit at each of those readings. We're not going to look at the Isaiah reading, but we're particularly going to look at the reading from the Gospel of Luke. There's three of them, so you'll need to kind of toggle back and forth in your service sheets, but keep them in front of you. And what I want to show you is that the particularly the readings from Luke open up a window into joy. Uh, you can see the tone of all these readings is full of joy, but the joy that uh, the Gospel of Luke opens a window to is a unique kind of joy. It's a joy that um, can reach down to people who are in, uh, who have very little power and who are in pretty difficult circumstances. So it's a joy that can reach down to Mary and Joseph uh, in having just had a baby uh, a long way from their home uh, in inadequate living situations. It can reach down to them. It can reach to the shepherds who are people of pretty low status in that society. It can reach to them. But it's a joy that reaches not only to the shepherds and to Mary and Joseph, it's a joy that can reach to the very heights of heaven itself because in our readings, 
the angels rejoice with this particular kind of joy that I want to point out to you tonight. And it's a joy that uh, Christmas is full of this joy, but it's a joy that is not limited to Christmas. In fact, this joy, which in a profound way broke into the world at the original Christmas, that this joy transcends Christmas and will reach and last for all eternity. And here's the joy that I want to show you. I want you to see a joy that is captivated and delighted by God's glory displayed in Christ's humility. Let me explain. Um, if you look at the first reading from Luke, um, the story begins with Caesar Augustus. So Caesar uh, sends out a decree that the whole world should be counted. Now by whole world, he just meant his world, but we'll leave that aside. He commissioned a census. Now here's the thing. At that time in the Roman Empire, Caesar, especially Caesar Augustus, was just like, I mean, that's as good as you can get. Like that's the top of the pecking order, right? And if one way to think about it is that one of the dominant messages within the Roman Empire was that um, human peace or flourishing or joy, if there's any of that to be had, it must orbit in some way around somebody like Caesar Augustus. Because somebody like Caesar Augustus has everything that the Roman Empire really, really liked. And it's stuff that we like too. Um, Caesar Augustus was a winner. Like he had defeated all his enemies and he was on top. Um, Caesar Augustus was rich, like super rich. Um, he held political power. In fact, he could order the whole world or at least the whole Mediterranean world with one word. And, and the census is actually evidence of that. And so in the Roman empire way of thinking, if there's any path to glory or peace or flourishing, it must come through someone a lot like Caesar. Now I say that because part of the strange thing about the gospel of Luke is that Luke, the author of this uh, account of Jesus's life, Luke mentions Caesar Augustus, but then Caesar Augustus really quickly just sort of fades away and he becomes really deeply irrelevant. He's almost like a mirage. He just disappears like vapor. Now, real quick, I want to pause and point something out. Joy that is rooted in this world tends to disappear a little bit like Caesar disappears from this story. What I mean is joy, when it's rooted in this world, it, it has a tendency to orbit around things, good things, things like power and control and influence and wealth and pleasure and advancement or whatever the case may be. Those are all good things. But the problem is all of those things have a tendency to fade away a little bit like a mirage over the course of life. And when your joy is attached to those things, then your joy will disappear just like those other things do. In fact, for some of us in this year of 2020, one of the reasons we've experienced such pain in this year is because much of our joy has vanished with the things that we've lost. All right, just kind of file that into the back of your mind and go back to the story because it gets really interesting with the second reading from Luke when the angels come into the picture. So just to recap the story, Joseph and Mary, they go to Bethlehem. Uh, Mary has a baby. You know that bit of the story. But what's interesting is as, is that as soon as Jesus is born, the camera shot cuts away. 
the camera stops looking at Mary and Joseph and the baby. And instead you see a bunch of shepherds, which is weird because there's no reason to think that you should be looking at shepherds at that point in the story. Who cares about shepherds? Like at night, I, who cares? I mean, we're, we're familiar with the story, but and just there's something odd going on in the story. Well, what happens? Well, look at verse nine. It says this, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Now, I bet you they were filled with great fear. Um, these shepherds were Jewish shepherds. It, they were steeped in the Hebrew scriptures. And if you're steeped in the Hebrew scriptures, then nothing has a higher status in your mind than the angel of the Lord. Like if an angel of the Lord appears to you, man, that's a big deal. And that's really, really scary. It's all the time scary. Except the one thing that's bigger and better and grander than an angel of the Lord is the glory of the Lord himself. God's glory apparently shone around the angel. So what's God's glory? Well, his glory is his beauty and majesty and power and might and everything that makes God wonderful and frightening all displayed in visual form. There's nothing scarier or more compelling than God's glory. But then watch what the angels do. They say, shepherds, don't, don't panic. We come in peace. And in fact, we're giving you really good news. And you can find that news in verse 11. The angels say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Pause and watch this because this is the moment, Emmanuel, when joy happens. The minute the angels mention Jesus, this little baby, and, and particularly the minute they mention Jesus in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, the crowd goes wild. I mean, the, the house band of heaven kicks in and there's ends up there's not just one angel, there's a whole truckload of angels and they're all of them start praising God with words very similar to the Gloria that we just said a few minutes ago. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Now, that joy that the angels show there, that's the joy I want you to see tonight. And maybe it's helpful to contrast. Go back to Caesar. Caesar is the most powerful person in the world. And he uses his power to point to himself. Uh, the census was a way to amplify the fact that he was the epicenter of Rome. Caesar uses his power to point to himself, but the angels surrounded by the glory of God, the most powerful creatures in heaven. How did they use their power? They use their power to point away from themselves and they point to Jesus, who is a king and a savior, but also a baby and a manger. The angels are captivated, Emmanuel, by the humility of Jesus. They want to point to his humility, or maybe better this, the angels are captivated by the glory of God displayed in the humility of Jesus Christ. And that joy, the joy of a heart captivated by the glory of God displayed in the humility of Jesus Christ, that is a joy that never ends, but lasts forever. And I can imagine somebody saying, what, Jim? How, what, what makes you say that that's a joy that lasts forever. Well, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for asking. 
Did you catch the reading from Revelation? Revelation is the last book of the Bible. It's not a Christmas scene. The scene of the bit that we read is a scene in heaven. And it's well after Jesus' death and resurrection. And now Jesus is in heaven enthroned as king over the universe. The picture is of Jesus being way stronger and bigger than Caesar Augustus ever imagined himself to, well, maybe he imagined, but way better than he ever was. And here's Jesus enthroned in heaven. And what are the angels doing? The angels and all the creatures of heaven are singing and rejoicing around Jesus. But do you notice what they call him? They call him the lamb, the lamb who was slain. Why does that matter? Here's why. The joy of the angels in heaven is a delight in God's power displayed in Christ's humility. And he was so humble that he was not only born in a manger, but he was enthroned on a cross like a lamb led to the slaughter. And what I want you to see is that the joy of the angels that Christmas is the joy of the angels in heaven. It is a joy and the only joy which will last eternally. It's a joy that orbits not around ourselves, but around God's glory displayed in Christ's humility. But now I can imagine somebody saying, well, wait, no, why? Why does a joy in God's glory displayed in Christ's humility, why, why would something like that create joy? Well, go back to the angels and the shepherds. Did you notice that the angels called Jesus a savior? And that's a clue. Because it means that God's glory displayed in Christ's humility, it means that God is not like Caesar. Caesar can help us grasp what sin is. Um, Caesar, remember, he uses his power. He points to himself. And the more he points to himself, inevitably, Caesar ends up dominating and exploiting others. Now, that's always what sin does. And it's what all of us do in our default settings. Now, sin is many things. But one aspect of what sin is, is that sin is when we set ourselves at the center. We point to ourselves. Our lives orbite. Uh, orbit around our own selves. And in doing that, we inevitably end up exploiting others in order to promote our own agenda. Now, we're usually polite about it, but sin, even when we don't know it, makes us seek joy by grasping onto power and pleasure and comfort and control in a selfish way. And it leads us inevitably to leverage others and even sometimes to leverage God himself himself to get for ourselves whatever it is that we want and that we're seeking. And the problem with sin, well, one of the problems is that it severs relationships. Notably, it severs a relationship with God. Now, we all this year know what it is to be in quarantine, right? Quarantine, it's the worst thing in the world. And quarantine is one way to think about what sin does. Sin isolates us in quarantine. In particular, we're quarantined from God. And you know how we all kind of go crazy in quarantine? You know what I mean? This is the awkward moment where it might just be me. But no, I don't think it is. I've heard other people talk about it. We go crazy in quarantine. Well, something, sin makes us crazy too. We're quarantined from God. And that quarantine from God uh, 
amplifies our selfishness and we end up in a vicious cycle where our selfishness increases and we use our power to point to ourselves. We end up leveraging or exploiting other people in greater ways and therefore our distance from God increases and that quarantine will continue eternally unless something intervenes to stop it. But here's the thing. If God's glory is displayed in Christ's humility, then it means that God is not like Caesar. God is the opposite of sin. God uses his power not to dominate others for his own profit, but rather to liberate others at his own expense. And when Jesus Christ was in the manger, that was the first step to Jesus entering our quarantine in order to set us free so that we could be reunited with God. And later on, when Jesus hung upon the cross, being slaughtered like a lamb, that was the climactic moment when Jesus ransomed us from our sin and reconciled us to God. And when you know that whole story, you can see why it is that the angels sing pointing at a manger and why the angels sing pointing to a lamb, because they know that the epicenter of all eternal joy is the glory of God displayed in the humility of Christ because through his humility, he's going to liberate us from the quarantine and the curse of sin. And that joy breaks into our world now and tonight. There's a wonderful way in this, in this these readings from, um, from Luke, how joy spreads. Um, and, uh, we, you know, it spreads like a, like a good and happy contagion. It starts with the angels. The angels can see, they point to Jesus. They point the shepherds to Jesus and their joy sort of spreads to the shepherds and the shepherds get up and they run to Bethlehem and they find Joseph and Mary and the shepherds take upon themselves the role of the angels. And they proclaim to Joseph and Mary what the angels had told to them. And that joy comes out of the mouth of the shepherds and spreads to Mary. And Mary treasures these things up in our heart, in her heart. But then it didn't stop there because almost certainly Mary, years later, told this whole story to Luke. The joy passing from Mary to Luke. And Luke sat down and wrote this account so that through this story, that same joy can be passed to us today. So Emmanuel, this is the night to allow yourself to receive this joy which you cannot generate, but which God imparts. You know, a lot of us can't wait for 2020 to be over. There's a lot of talk about that as if everything's gonna be different on January 1, but you know. But I want to end 2020, Emmanuel, by seeing its gift to us. 2020, with all its formidable pain, helps us see just how uncertain this life is and how fleeting so many of its joys are. And why is that a gift? Because it helps us see that if we live for the temporary joys of this world, then we will end up an awful lot like Caesar, full of himself, shockingly unimportant in the larger story. And not only that, if we live for the fleeting joys of this world, then it will mean that the quarantine which we have tasted in 2020 will end up being the first taste of an eternal misery because we will remain quarantined from God. And that's why 2020 is a sober but important gift. 
because it tells us that we need a better joy. So Emmanuel, take up the role of the shepherd and listen to the angel and then go to Christ and see in him God's glory displayed in his humility and then join with Mary in treasuring up these things in your heart. And as we do that, we will join with the eternal song of heaven as we say, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.